0: Hi there. Welcome to Lakeridge Community Church Podcast. And this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Um, We're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to uh, pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening.
1: Beginning of the Bible, there is this story. And it's the story of creation. Feels like a fitting way to begin something, how it all began. And started, we read about this dark, inky blackness, this void, this watery depth. This is the language that they would have given to it. I'm going to read here, I'm going to read three versions of this opening. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Another version. First this, God created the heavens and the earth. All you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness. A bottomless emptiness. An inky blackness. God's spirit brooded over like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke. Light. And light appeared. And God saw that the light was good. And separated light from dark. The King James Version. In the beginning God created... Created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Into the darkness
0: came light. It was
1: the first act of God written down in the Bible was this, light. Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Is it both? I don't know, but it feels pretty magical to me when all the world has was darkness and suddenly this showed up. And God said, this was, this was good. All darkness then this, this blinking, this bright, how foreign would this have been in a world not yet formed in just sheer darkness? It's a strange thing. People have been trying to figure out what light is for a long time. And I think it's awesome that the very first thing that God made is so mysterious. And wonderful and mystical. And we just turn it on now. We don't think much about it. We're maybe used to seeing the light. But here it is. Light in the darkness. I might even call it miraculous or even holy. That God would make this. That this is God's first act was to make some light. I think it says something about God. This is the whole reason why the book of Genesis was written was to say something about God. And that God would make this, that God would be interested in darkness and then interested in making some light says a great deal about God. It says, God knows about darkness and God knows what light does in the darkness. Seems like God has a Pretty big fascination with the dark and the light. We don't know much about God at the beginning of Genesis. If you just only had these first couple verses, you don't know much. But you do know one thing. God brings light in the darkness. His opening move is telling about him. Wonderful illumination. Warmth. Direction. Hope. God is working with nothing and suddenly he makes something. He makes light. This is the story of Advent. Is going back to the basics and just standing for a moment. I'm going to turn on a few lights back around here so we can see. Let's
0: flick on a few of these.
1: We're putting our Chris. We put our Christmas lights up. We decided we would, Kelly said, we should make that tree over there purple. And so I went out and I thought I was doing a great thing. I bought four boxes of purple lights. They're hard to come by, but Kenny and Tyre had them. And I put them up and they covered like two branches. I, I, th- I thought the whole thing would be covered and you'd all be coming by and seeing this tree. It's so purple and great and it's just two branches. So I had to add some old green and blue lights to kind of round it out. Light fills the darkness, but we sometimes need a little bit more too. Yeah. On, there's a story from, from the Atlantic that's quite profound. And it goes like this. It says, on the evening of December 18, 2004, in the hamlet of Midirian, in the southwest of France, a man named Jean-Luc uh, Jussoit Verger wandered into the tunnels of an abandoned mushroom farm and he got lost. Jean-Luc, who was 48, he was employed as a caretaker at a local health center, but he had been depressed. And so leaving his wife and his 14-year-old son at home, he'd driven up to the hills with a bottle of whiskey and a, bo- and a pocket full of sleeping pills. After steering his Land Rover into the large entrance of these caves, this mushroom farm, he crawled out, clinked on a flashlight, and he stumbled into the dark of these caves. In the tunnels, which were originally carved out of limestone and chalk, it was five miles of labyrinth, blind corridors, twisting passages, and dead ends. His flashlight slowly dimmed, and then it died. And shortly after, he fell down and laid down on a soggy floor. His shoes, they had been sucked off by some mud and then his socks were lost in the mud too. He stumbled barefoot through the maze going in the pitch darkness, searching for an exit. Then on the afternoon of January 21st, exactly 34 days later, he was found. There were some boys who had come exploring and they found his Land Rover and the door was open and they called the police and the police came and he was found. He was found only 600 feet from the entrance, in this little part of a cavern that he just couldn't find his way out of. They found him. He was skeleton-thin, ghostly pale. He had a had a beard and he was scraggly, but he was alive, and one of the police said he looked like a zombie. That's how I feel coming out of quarantine, right? He ate clay and he ate rotten wood and for water he licked moisture off the walls of this cave. And he crawled on all fours pawing in the mud to try to find his way through. He found himself an old plastic tarp that was used in the farming of these mushrooms years and years ago. And that's what he used to wrap himself in to stay warm. At times you might expect he was sank into deep despair and despondency. And he even carried with him a piece of rope in case things got unbearable, he said. During other moments, he said that sometimes he'd walk in the dark and he'd sometimes just kind of zone out and get really calm. And he'd start singing songs to himself. He'd swing all over the place with his feelings. And sometimes he'd just let himself float through the tunnels in some sort of peaceful detachment, he said. For hours at a time, he would wander the maze, and once he finally emerged from the maze, he found that he had regained his purchase on life. He discovered that he had something to live for. He rejoined his family where he found himself happier and more at ease. He went to school and got his degree, and he got a new job, and a whole lot of things changed for him. But he says that a survival instinct kicked in partway through. And he realized that he wanted to live when he was in this darkness. His renewed sense of will to live. in this darkest moment he desperately needed to transform his life. He traveled into the dark and he emerged as somebody quite different. Something about the disorientation prepared him for what was next. And he saw it. The Bible is actually a lot of stories of just this traveling into the darkness and discovering something, discovering who you are and who God is, and the Bible's just full of these. Some people might read the Bible and say, boy, there's some dreary bits in there. Well, if you read the story of my life, you'd say, boy, there's some dreary bits in there too. The Bible is a reflection of how people are are engaging with God in this world, and God knows what darkness is, and he knows what light is. So that's what these stories are often about. So in the book of Isaiah 821, it says this they will go from one place to another, weary and hungry, and because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. Isaiah is pointing out what is happening around him. They're hungry. And in their hunger, in their lack, in their darkness, they are cursing God and their king. And they're in despair. This is, this is real. Psalm 88, the writer of this psalm, comes at it with a very similar feeling. Sometimes when I don't know what to pray, I pray the psalms and I stumble across these kinds of prayers and feel a bit guilty reading something that feels so dark. I think I should be happier, but here it is says this, "O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day and I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer and listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death. And death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down, and wave after wave you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way to escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears, and each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift up my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I wonder if this was the kind of prayer that our friend in the tunnels would have prayed. (laughs) Where are you, God? I was in a hard place and now I'm in a tunnel if I couldn't get any worse than this. What good am I to you if I'm way down here in the depths of this mushroom farm? In the mud. I lost my shoes, for goodness sake. Couldn't you at least keep me my shoes?
0: And all I got is this tarp.
1: He's lost in the dark. You have this little thing in your brain called the hippocampus. It's like smaller than your pinky, actually, and it's kind of buried right in there, and there's kind of like two parts to it, and it is so important to you. In fact, the more I read about the hippocampus, the more I'm like, this thing's amazing. I need this thing. The hippocampus is in our brain, and it helps us understand where we are in the world. It's how we map the world around us, It does all the work of figuring out where the spatial relations are, where we've been, where we've come from. It takes all the data from our body, from our feet, to our memory, to our smell, our eyes, and it draws a picture of the world around us. Now, it's been important for humans to have this hippocampus because it helped people hunt, helped people farm, helped people remember where they left their children, right? This is important, We would not be here if it wasn't for this little thing called the hippocampus. You would not have found your way here, but your grandparents wouldn't have found anything. It helps us leave our home and come back, and we use it all the time. It's always on. When we are lost in the darkness and we can't find our way out, the brain actually kicks into overdrive, trying to make sense of things, because it doesn't have everything it needs to figure out the way forward. This guy who was in the dark, his hippocampus just did not know what to do. It did not have the comforts of home. It did not have a map. It did not have light. It just was feeling along in the darkness and it was going in overdrive to try to figure out the way out. Some subterranean animals, they have different ways of finding their way in the darkness. There's this thing called the mole rat. Look it up. It's the ugliest, most wonderful little creature you will ever see. It lives its entire life underground, and they live to be very old, like 90 years old. Barely has any eyes, really, at all. But this is what it does. It knocks its head against the wall <laughs> to feel for vibrations and make a map of where it is. And they actually found that it has a little bit of iron in its brain to help create a bit of a, a, bit of a directional compass. It's one of the few animals that has this particular feature. It's a cool thing. Even this subterranean animal needs to find its way through. We need maps. Our brains are so wired around making maps and figuring out where we are. So we write down maybe where we've come from and where we're going, and people started to make very early maps of the world around them. We now have Google Maps, right? I have my phone. I don't have to remember too much. I just tell Google, take me to a place, right? That's great. Uh, I need the map to find my nearest McDonald's. I can't tell you how often I look up my McDonald's. This is essential for my survival. McDoubles are very good. Bad for you, but so good. I will always find a McDonald's. Not only do we need a map, and our brains help do this, but we need light. We have these very complex things called eyeballs that take in all sorts of information using light. They're really amazing. We can feel our way along, but in the end, we need light to see. To make out our surroundings and to decide where to go. This is important data for our brains. We need a map and we need a light. And normal ways, our normal ways of navigating the world are taken. When they're taken, we might go into panic. We might not know which way is up anymore. Theodore Roosevelt, he said, The feeling of being lost in the wilderness seems to drive him into a state of panic, terror, That is frightful to behold. He's talking about people being lost. Panic terror that's frightful to behold. And that in the end renders him bereft of reason. If not found in three or four days, he's very apt to become crazy. And he will flee from the rescuers. And he must be pursued and captured as if he was a wild animal. Theodore Roosevelt, who spent a lot of time in the wilderness, he said, If you are in the wilderness for more than a few days, you will go crazy. And you won't even know what help looks like when help shows up. You will go mad in your disorientation. Interesting observation. The prayer of Psalm 88 that I was reading, it, I think, is very real. When we are disoriented or lost in the darkness, we cry out, we panic, and that's what this psalm is all about, is this panic and saying, God, where are you? I'm dead. And we go overboard, right? We panic. Just a little while ago, my daughter Scotia, she's in the school. Uh, she was hiding over in one of those bins when we were setting up. And somebody, I think i think Evan or Tara, they were moving the bins around and it got pushed against the wall. And we just heard some crying coming out of, the poor, out of one of the poor bins. And it sounded like my daughter. But she's a very soft-hearted girl. And so when she's stuck in there, she doesn't want to cry too much to put you out, right? She, but I heard a whimpering, and I realized my daughter was in a bin somewhere. Sometimes we just whimper in the dark. We don't want to put anybody out that we're in a dark place, and we need help. But something else happens in the dark. Like Jean-Luc in that cave, we start to make sense of our surroundings differently. Author Will Hunt, this author of a book called Underground, he says, neurologically speaking, when we are lost, after all, our brain is the most open and absorbent. In a state of disorientation, the neurons in our hippocampus are frantically sponging up every sound, every smell, and every sight in our environment. He says, scrambling for any strand of data that will help us regain our bearings. Even if, as we feel anxious, our imaginations become prodigiously active, conjuring ornate images from our environment. When we take a wrong turn in the woods and lose sight of the trail, our mind perceives every twig snap or leaf rustle as the arrival of an enemy black bear or a pack of warthogs or a convict on the lamb. Just as our pupils dilate on a dark night to receive more photons of light, when we are lost, our mind opens up to a world more fully. That's what happens in the darkness. Our brain begins to just open up and take it in And sometimes it even lies to us about what's going on. That's why kids, when they're in the dark, they want the light on. Because their hippocampus is going over time to try to make sense of what's going on, right? My daughter sees all sorts of crazy things in the dark. And I used to just say, just don't worry. Don't worry. Look, there's no monster under the bed. But I'm realizing her brain is trying to make sense of things. And yours is too. How do you react when you're lost in the dark? What happens to you? Maybe it's in the figurative dark, but maybe it's even in this pandemic time. How do you react when you're lost? Do you panic? Maybe you become hyper aware of the world around you. Do you start to control things? Do you crawl around in the dark on the ground? Do you run and do you fight? Do you hide under a tarp?
0: Do you express anger? Are you afraid? All
1: these things are happening inside of you. Or maybe when you're lost and afraid and disoriented, maybe you curse your God and King, just like that Isaiah, right? Do you rail on the authorities, on religion? Curse you, Lakeridge, right? Have to put it somewhere. Evan's a good place to put it on. Curse you, Evan. The economy. Curse you, economy.
0: Your spouse, curse you. I mean, sorry, honey. Uh, your local school, the teachers,
1: China, America, Trump, Biden, Trudeau, Kenny, the town council. We have to put it somewhere. Do you shake your fist at things? Maybe, if you can't shake it on the outside, do you shake it at the inside? I failed.
0: I lack.
1: I don't like myself. You know what I carried all week in my new book? There were some typos in there, and a handful of them. And we fixed them. But this week, somebody reached out and said, "Oh man, there are some typos in your book," and I just can't shake it. Oh, I suck. Why should I even write anything? This is garbage. In my lost and disoriented sense, I started to speak lies about what was happening inside of me and around me. What was true was put on the side because I was disoriented. Do you think God is far off and doesn't see you and doesn't care? God is the maker of light. He is the one who steps into our darkness And he said at the very beginning, before anything else, he said, let there be light. God did not say this once and done, but the whole Bible is a story of God's light coming in every form that light can possibly come into the life of people. Into the life of you and into the life of me. And this whole story is talking about a promise that one day all darkness will be gone. Anything that is broken anything that is lost, anything that's crawling in the mud will one day find its wholeness again in God's loving care. That this story of creation, there's people who say the story of creation in the beginning of Genesis never finished. It gets to a point, and guess what? We are still in the story of creation. God is still making the world. He is still making light in darkness, and he is bringing light into darkness, and it's into this story of this world that is still being made, that this story of Jesus comes. John 1, mimicking the story at the beginning of Genesis,
0: it says this.
1: In the beginning. Sounds similar to the book of Genesis, right? John starts saying these same words. In the beginning. In the beginning, the word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, that nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is God. Jesus is not only the maker of light with the Father, but he is actually light himself. He is the light in our darkness. He makes light out of nothing, and he is the same God who hovered over the deep, inky blackness, and he is the same God that made life, life, light appear out of nowhere, and he is the same one who makes light show up in you. Jesus is light in our darkness, and Jesus is the way out of our darkness. Jesus is the map. He is the light and he's the map. The Bible says he is the way. When our brains can't find a way, guess what? Jesus knows the way. Jesus offers a path for us. He finds us out of the darkness. He helps us navigate to where we are found. Our disorientation, your disorientation is no map or no match for the way that Jesus knows the way through. No match for his awareness. And guess what? He offers it to us. He says, I know the way. I am light. You, I am myself light, he says. And I am the way. I know the way through. Track with me, he says. And lastly, if Jesus is the life or the light, and he's the map, there's one other thing that I think is so important. Jesus is love. He loves you in your darkness. He sees you with your shoes off laying under a tarp if that's where you are today. He sees you when you're telling yourself that you suck because there's a typo in the thing you did. He sees you when you're stuck in a bin at the corner and you don't want to cry out too loud because you're embarrassed by that. He sees you and he loves you. He has deep empathy and love for you because he made you and he likes you. There is around him no fear or anxiety or pain that can keep God from loving you. Nothing you can conjure up inside that feels dark is a barrier between you and God. Nothing you did or think or can't shake will shake off the love of God for you. Jesus does not need you to navigate through the darkness to find his love. You do not need to know the way. Or even what the light looks like in order to know that God is in fact coming for you. Jesus brings you God's love here
0: and now, right where you are. Friends,
1: this is how Advent begins a world that feels pretty dark. And I think that there is one Advent that I hope will be an Advent that you will remember forever, and it is this Advent, Advent 2020. In the midst of the dark and the tears and the fear and the anxiety and the pain and the loss, all of that, there is no better place for the inbreaking of the, the light of Jesus than into our lives. He is life. He's light. He's life. He is the way,
0: and he is love for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We sometimes think our darkness
1: is beyond you. That we've done and seen and think and are so stuck in our minds and our hippocampus is going crazy saying, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't have the map. I don't know the way. I'm lost and I'm afraid and my mind is playing tricks on me now. Lord, none of that is a mystery to you. And I thank you for that. I think that nothing about our bodies and the way our brains and minds and bodies work is a mystery to you. And so you give us one way. And you don't need us to come and find our way through, but the way you gave us is yourself. You have come to us. And so here we are at the beginning of Advent, leading up to Christmas, and we are full of all of the feelings that this 2020 has brought us. Lord, we stand here in the darkness, knee-deep in something, and we say, find us. Help us. Bring us light. Show us the way and bring us your love. We need you. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And help this journey to Christmas be one of hopeful longing that you are coming near to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: you stand with me? Friends, you
1: are loved. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace as you go from here today. And may your Christmas preparations be one where you know that there's light for you and you are loved. Amen? Amen. Peace, Peace, my friends. Bless you. Bless you.
0: Waking up knowing there's a reason. All my dreams come alive. Life is for living with you. I made my decision.